0: Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians chapter 3, as we speak tonight on the subject, how to go on with God or how to get going with God. Philippians chapter 3. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for this great opportunity of being here in the house of the Lord and for the blessings that we've already experienced. We pray now for God's power upon the Word of God, that every one of us here shall sense the dealing of the Lord with us, and that we will say it was good to be in God's house tonight. Father, we pray that someone here who has never received Christ as Savior will open his heart to Jesus. And may all God's children rejoice in Thee. In Christ's name, amen in Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not irksome or grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath reasons for which he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, or refuse, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to again stress verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. There's a remarkable verse in Hebrews chapter 6, we discussed it in the Trinity Union Hour tonight. Chapter 6 verse 1 is the theme for the entire book of Hebrews. It begins by saying, let us go on, let us go on to perfection, speaking to Christians. And uh, whoever wrote the book, many believe it was Paul, others believe it was Luke, some believe it was Apollos, others believe it was Barnabas. We do not know who wrote Hebrews. That really doesn't matter so much because we know the Holy Spirit wrote it. And it has on every page the, the mark of God. But whoever it was, was including himself in the us, he said, let us go on. And we assume that the person who wrote this was saved. And so he says, let us, let us go on unto perfection. And, of course, the inference is that some do not go on into perfection. Some do not go on to maturity. The word perfection means maturity. It means going on with God. And the question tonight is how can we go on with God? Paul said, this is is something that I deal with all the time. One place in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, "I I beat my body under subjection. I keep it under subjection. Lest after I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said, I deal with this all the time, constantly, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Paul said, it's a battle with me. I like his testimony. He gives it a number of places in the scripture, but one of the clearest testimony places is in uh, 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me in that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Nevertheless, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them who should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He was almost at a shouting point here. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which pointed to thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith. And a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, and that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's both a triumphant passage and a tragic passage. Apparently, these men, Hymenius, Alexander, we can include in it Demas and some others were men who had one time worked with Paul they had been saved they'd gotten going for god but somewhere along the line they got off the track they just got the quiditas and they sat down and they quit tragic words are there in 2nd Timothy chapter 4 where Paul says, I'm now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me and to me, not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. He said, he said please, Timothy, come quickly to me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed into Thessalonica. Demas who's mentioned twice other places in the scripture as a close coworker with Paul. And I want to ask you why didn't he go on with God? Why didn't he? When I was young, a teenager in Louisville, Billy Graham was just beginning his ministry. Most of those who are about my age will remember when Billy Graham began his ministry. He was president of Youth for Christ International. He went out to Los Angeles and held a great crusade, and Stuart Hamlin got saved. God began to move and use him in a mighty and unusual way. He came to Louisville and preached. I had the privilege of hearing him and meeting him and being with him some in those days. There was another man that also came to Louisville. I'll not mention his name, but he was a great preacher, a real powerful preacher, and he preached the word I went to those meetings, deeply moved, deeply impressed. Hundreds and thousands of people came to those meetings. After he left Louisville and after some other crusades, he began to have some questions in his heart about the Word of God. And Billy Graham writes in one of his his, uh, autobiographical sketches that he also went through a very severe testing time in his ministry when he had some questions about the Word of God. If you've read his biography, you know there came a time in California when he got down on his face before God and buried his his face and hands in the sand, holding to the Bible. He said, God, I'm going to give myself to preach what the Bible says, whether I understand it or not. I'm going to believe it and preach it and if I'm wrong you tell me about when I get home to heaven. The other man, a good preacher, sought some counsel from some liberal scholars. He'd confessed his doubts and his questions and all that. And less and less was used in preaching. And after a while, he faded off the scene. That man is still living nobody knows about him nobody ever hears about him nobody ever hears him preach the Word of God he didn't go on with God Now, what was the difference why do some go on with God and others do not go on with God this is a very important question that we face tonight and I want every man woman boy and girl within the sound of my voice to face it squarely face it in your heart face it in your life give me your attention tonight this a burdened message I want to give you a fourfold formula for going on with God. Number one, remember the curse. Remember the curse. The curse that you were under before you got saved. Remember the sin penalty. The Bible says that whereas by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. The New Testament tells us, there is not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And Paul picks that up in Romans chapter 3 and quotes passage after passage after passage from the Old Testament, again showing how the, the, the new covenant stresses the fact that we've all sinned. And he says, all this was written so that the whole world world might become guilty before God, and every mouth might be stopped, and we would realize there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I want to say to us tonight, my friend, if we will remember the curse from which we came, if we'll remember the awfulness of the tragedy of the wages of sin, if we'll remember the awful past of our lives, somebody here tonight might get up and say, but listen, preacher, I wasn't so bad. I never did some of the things that you read about in the papers and I never did some of these sins and crimes and so on and I never was brought into court and I never did any of those things. I want to tell you the judgment had already been pronounced upon you. It just hadn't been carried out because the Bible says all of us have sinned. We're under the awful curse of sin and not until Christ comes into our heart and cleanses us and forgives us are we saved. Now, if that has never happened to you, you may be a church member. You may be a good person. You may do good things. But if you have never had the experience of grace applied to your heart, if you've never come to a point in your life where you've been saved, and you could say, I have been saved from sin, then you're not saved, and you're on your way to hell. And you may say, but preacher, my my church doesn't stress that kind of thing. That doesn't matter. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. I talked to a person not so long ago. I said, are you a Christian? He said, I'm a Catholic. I said, well, praise the Lord. There are a lot of Catholic Christians. Have you ever been saved? He said, we don't talk language like that in our church. I said, have you ever been born again? He said, I got baptized. But I said, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Oh, he said, nobody knows that. I have to give some money to the priest, or somebody does, so he can pray me out of purgatory. Maybe I'll go to heaven, maybe I won't. I'm not making fun of anybody's religion, I'm just telling you. I talked a little bit further with that dear, precious person, and they let me share the gospel with them. And it wasn't so long until that hungry heart got some assurance of knowing he was on his way to heaven because he repented of sin, gave his heart to Jesus. Doesn't make any difference what kind of church background we're from, what kind of doctrine we've been taught. The question is do you remember the curse? You see, you're not going to go on with God unless there's vividly in your mind that you were under the awful curse of sin and on your way to hell before you got saved. You can't go on with God otherwise. You just limp along and you'll drift in and out and so on. But is there in your memory that time? When you turned away from the wages of sin, you said no to hell and yes to heaven. No to Satan and yes to God. No to self and yes to the Savior. Was there a time, do you remember the curse you were under? All of our lives, we always need to remember that we were under a curse. It is written, cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree and Jesus took that curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. I should have been crucified, he was. I should have gone to hell, he tasted hell. I should have died for my own sins, he died for my sins. And he took the curse that I might be freed. Has that happened to you? Has it come a definite time in your life? Remember the curse and you'll go on with God. Secondly, remember the crises, remember the crises. I'm talking about saved people now, those who have gone beyond the curse. You remember the time when you were saved? I just want to remind you that there are crises times in our lives. After you get saved, everything isn't all right. When I realized I had found the Lord, I was so glad for I thought all my burdens and troubles would be over, but I found they just began. The friction just comes after you give your life to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Man's foes shall be those of his own household. There shall be variance between mother and daughter, son and father. In the household, they won't understand you. See, when you give your heart to Christ and Christ becomes first in your life, there are going to be some crises times. Earlier in the training union tonight, I had a wonderful time. We had an interview program, a talk show in training union. And uh, had the privilege of interviewing several of our men. And I asked them, how is it that you're going on with God why are you going on with God I said since you became a Christian has it all just been easy street and a bit of rosy ease and so on or have there been some crisis times each of them spoke of crisis times some tough times but if I would summarize what they said I wrote down quickly some of these things here were some thoughts that came those crisis times why are you going on with god well one said i won't i will remember the joy of salvation he was just saying i remember the curse i've gotten delivered from the curse and i remember the joy of being saved and then he implied that the stewardship the recognition of the stewardship of life had a great deal to do with his going on with god Recognizing that his voice belonged to God, his talents belonged to God, everything he is belongs to God, and his tithe belonged to God. These were stepping stones in crises times in his life that would enable him to go on with God. He said, I had some good models. I watched people who were going on with God and tried to study why they were going on and emulate them and keep in fellowship with them instead of in fellowship with those who were deserting the ranks and going AWOL. And I want to tell you folks, one of the great problems in Christian work tonight, one of the great problems is people looking at, people looking at others who are not going on with God. And we get defeated along the way, we get discouraged along the way, we say, well look at this person, look at this person, one of the most tragic things that can happen is for a new Christian to learn how to pray like some old Christians pray. I just wish they could never learn how to do that. I've, I've met with people that just get saved and we pray together and they just say, uh, God, you, you know that thing that we did the other day? I'm sorry for it. And God, remember this and this. and He just talks like you were talking to, we were talking to each other. And then after they get saved a while and they get with some sanctimonious saint, they start saying, Our Father, God of the universe, and on and on and on. Now, I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying, don't learn to pray like that. Pray from your heart. Talk to God out of your heart. Just talk to God out of your heart. Don't ever forget how to talk to God just like you were talking to another person. Be personal with your talk to God. Prayer and uh, This person tonight said i watched my models and i modeled my life after people who were going on with god and then he said i watched jesus tried to keep my eyes on jesus and then i had fellowship with other christians fellowship with god's people there's a song that says make friends with god's children take time to be holy takes time you're not going to be holy just by just by, uh, you know, osmosis. takes time with God and with God's people to be holy. And then he said, I became involved in everything at Glendale Baptist Church that I could get involved with. Everything. I got in everything. I joined things and got in there and I watched it and I was faithful and tried to be involved in all those things. And then he said, uh, prayer and the Word of God play, played a very important part. He mentioned the prayer meeting that our men have had for many years here at this altar. We've we've read the Bible through at least three times in those prayer meetings, and I wish others would join us at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning as we read the Bible and pray. And then he mentioned men's prayer groups and the brotherhood and getting involved in things. And then one of the men said, the thing that has kept me going on with God is commitment. Commitment. Oh Jesus, I have promised to love thee to the end. You know, we live in a time when people's word doesn't mean very much. People stand at the marriage altar and they say, I'll be faithful to you till death shall part us. After a while, they don't like the way that the other one parts his hair so that causes them to part. But they don't like the way somebody cooks the eggs that cause them to part. Can't believe how many people I've dealt with who have had fi- had problems because of finances boys some of the men back there go back and help these two guys Will you, you come back in here thank you I don't want people going in and out of our service let me just stop a minute and say this if you don't know how to behave in the house of God I want you to learn and I feel responsible for teaching you how don't get up and walk in and out of God's house amen that's never right unless you're sick and then you get you get a, a doctor's excuse get an excuse from your parents or some adults don't get up and walk in and out of church tragic cheap way to do things i love you but don't ever do that thank you and men be on the outlook for that and don't let that happen let them go that way or that way or that way all right now you forgive me for this if you forgive me say amen i'll go right on all right now i meant that though now God wants us to go on with God, go on serving Him and living for Him and honoring Him and letting Him have His way in our lives. Commitment, commitment keeps us going for God, commitment. Putting my life on the line, putting my word on the line and saying, I'll do it. You know, I, I, I know some people that say, I don't want to make a commitment to Jesus, like we've got a commitment card here, and say, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in signing my name on a commitment card like that. I won't let my left hand know what my right hand's doing. Well, first of all, you misunderstand what that scripture's talking about. That scripture's talking about bragging. That scripture's talking about doing things just for men to see you. That has nothing to do with that at all. You don't mind at all signing for your telephone, that's how you got it. You don't mind signing for your utilities, that's how you got them. You don't mind signing for contracts to buy a car, or rent a house, or do anything else. That's how you do it. But for anybody to say, I don't believe in, I believe in doing more for the bank, and more for the businesses, and more for everybody else than I do for Jesus, that doesn't make sense to me. I say with all the depths of my soul, and earnestness of my heart, let's make a commitment to Jesus, and keep that commitment, and go on going on with God. Let's do it for Jesus' sake. And this man said tonight in his testimony, in his interview, I have made a commitment, and I'm going on with God. And another one said, I, keep my, I try to keep my eyes on Jesus instead of on people. We must never put our eyes on people. We're in a warfare. We're in a battle. In the, in the, war, in the war, how many of you here tonight served in the armed forces? Lift your hands. Well, I did that this morning. I won't do it again tonight. In the Armed Forces did you ever know anybody that went wrong Bob did you buster did you yeah Charlie did you know anybody that went wrong in the Armed Forces yeah all right did you follow them follow them or did you say well I'll tell you all these soldiers around here just a bunch of hypocrites and they do wrong therefore I'm gonna quit oh no, you didn't do that you kept your eye on the main goal in the service now, we, we're in a military work for God. This is, a, this is a, a, a warfare. It is a battle that is raging. And we dare not put our eyes on people who flunk out, people who, who spiritually are spiritual flunk outs, and do not go on with God. But we must put our eyes on Jesus. He will never disappoint us. In a million years, He's always the same. Paul wrote one day to the Romans, I am not one whit disappointed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all that he said it would be. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. (coughs) And then a very significant thing that was said tonight. He said, I try to remember that Christ died for me. I try to remember that Christ died for me. I was under the curse. And another very significant thing, he said, I want to be faithful. He said, I think faithfulness In the services helps me to keep on keeping on for Christ I've noticed through the years when somebody gets a little bit weary and they quit drop out of prayer meeting next thing they drop out of the Sunday night service next thing they may be coming to Sunday school and then quitting leaving after that not coming to church little by little by little by little they wander away from God remember the warfare, remember the crisis. Not only remember the curse, but remember the crisis. And thirdly, thirdly, if we're going to go on with God, remember the Christ. The Christ. The Christ, my friend, your mother didn't save you. Your daddy didn't save you. Your brother didn't save you. Your, your sister didn't save you. Your sweetheart didn't save you. Nobody like that saved you. Your deacons didn't save you. Your preacher didn't save you. Your church didn't save you. Jesus saves. Look to Him, and He will never disappoint you. And if we're going to go on with God, we never need to remember the curse we were under before we got saved. We need to remember the crisis days through which we passed, that these are tough times. Everything isn't going to be easy. There are going to be some tough times. But we need to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember the Christ. Look to him. Remember he died for us on the cross. He who knew sin became sin for us. Remember that he was buried. Remember that three days later he arose from the grave. Remember what? The angel said to those first people that got there early to the tomb, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Go tell his disciples. And they ran quickly to tell it. And they got so excited that the gospel of Christ began to be told like gossip in the streets. And people got hold of it and got saved. And multitudes got saved. They weren't ashamed to talk about Jesus because they were filled with the radiance and the wonder of a new affection, the resurrected Christ. And then they stood one day and the Savior whom they loved began to go up and they gazed up. And pretty soon a cloud received him out of their sight and they just kept looking up. They just kept looking up. I guess they just stood there until now. The angel came along again and said, hey man, why do you gaze into the heavens? The same Jesus whom you've seen taken into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Go get busy. And they put their eyes back here with one eye on heaven. They kept got at the work and they kept going for Jesus. They remembered Jesus Christ. Last of all, remember the cost. Remember the cost. Paul said, I count all things but loss. What was he talking about? All things but been lost. He said, well, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law blameless, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law blameless. But he said, what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. What in the world does that mean? That means, my friend, that we don't have anything to brag about. That's disarming. We don't have a thing to brag about. We're all at a common ground, common denominator. I can't say, well, look, boy, I've been in this faithful in this work a long, long, long time. Well, so what? So have some others. I don't have a right to brag about that. Just keep on, keeping on. One day, Peter and John were meeting with Jesus after the resurrection. And the Lord Jesus was telling John something and Peter interrupted and said, now Lord, but what about this? Really, really, the Lord was talking to Peter about following him. He had asked him three times, do you remember, uh, do you love me more than these? And so on, and he was, he was talking to Peter and, and I guess Peter got a little bit embarrassed and John was standing over here and he said, now, now Lord, what about this man? And the Lord Jesus said, uh, you don't bother about that man. You leave him to me. You just keep going for yourself. What is it to you if he lives, if I say he shall live till I come again? Peter was a little bit, I hate to say it, I love him very much. And after that, I don't ever see that in Peter's life again. But Peter was a little bit jealous. He was wondering about John. And you know, Christians get jealous of each other. We think somebody else gets more attention. Somebody else gets more jobs. Somebody else gets more of this. Somebody else gets more of this. Shame on us. God didn't call us all to do the same thing. God didn't call us all to be the same in the same work. He didn't call us all to have the same responsibilities. He didn't give us all the same talents. Wouldn't it be foolish for us to be jealous of the way Retha plays the organ or the way Sandy plays the piano, or the way Dr. Kemp plays the piano? Wouldn't it be foolish for us to get jealous of the way Vicky got up here and sang tonight? Or Bob sings or some of these others sing? Wouldn't that be foolish? Years ago, we had precious Darla in our church, Darla Stone, at that time. She married Bill Ricketts. <coughs> Darla had a voice like an angel. Lots of times when I tell this, somebody, somebody comes to me later and says, I have to confess to you that I don't even like for you to talk about it because it makes me jealous. I had, I had Darla sing a lot of times, a lot of times. If I'd had my wish, she could have sung in every service. You've heard her sing. Don't you like the way she sings? Some people didn't like that. People didn't like that. They thought, well, that's, that's, you're just using her too much, too much spotlight. You know what that is? That's common jealousy. My friend, when somebody is serving the Lord, don't ever take pot shots at them. Don't ever do that. In a thousand worlds, don't ever do that. Remember the cost. If you're going to keep on going for God, keep your eyes on Jesus and remember the cost. The cost of looking up, of going on it, it, it costs very little to say what you think, but it costs self-control to refrain. It costs little to go with the crowd, but it costs convictions to refrain. It costs little to make average grades. It costs study and hard work to excel. It costs little to give hasty opinions. It causes, and costs concentration to give valuable advice. It costs little to offer leftovers, directly sometimes sacrifice and pain to give our best. Paul Smith, in his book called World Conquest, he's pastor of the People's Church in Toronto, suggested these things concerning the cost. He said today for the Christians, the Christian church, if we're going to go on with God, we need to remember this, The cost is not men but money. That's a strange thing to say. He said, the cost is not men but money. He said there are lots of men, young men, young women who have placed their life on the altar for God. They've said, Lord, here am I, send me, but they don't have the funds to go. They don't have the money to go. Lots of us who are settled down in our cities and in our homes and in our plushness and in our comforts and in our security we buy this and we buy this and then we trade something in to get something a little bit better and we trade that in and get something a little bit better and then we get one of these gadgets you can sit in the chair and just punch a little button and it moves and touches and goes here and there and goes wild and so on. And here's a man or a woman who has come to say, Lord, use me, use me. But I don't have any money to go on. We've got volunteers. We need some money to send them. Our church has experienced that. We've had young people come and say, Lord, send me, use me. Got a letter from Brother Namkin the other day. He was commending our groups for the work in Texas and Mexico. I don't know whether he says this to everybody or not, he might. I don't know him that well. But he said our our groups are un, unusual and outstanding and he uses them as illustrations. And he said uh, I know that your men paid a big price to come to Mexico. He said, I know they paid a personal price. And then I know the church had to pay. I told him about that. And then he said, most of the people that come, as a matter of fact, I don't think any group that comes, except the group that comes from Glendale, pays its own way. Their churches pay their way. We've had folks to place their lives on the altar and say, Lord, send me. I'll go. They don't have any money to go with. And my beloved friends, the cost of going on with God is to be open and honest with him in sacrificial giving, giving for his glory. I remember J.F. McKinley. He was my very dear friend in college. I've told this in his presence, the first time I ever went hundred miles an hour in a car, I was with him. He's been serving the Lord in Bangladesh for nearly 30 years. J.F. McKinley was from, we were giving, we were were out in a church service out in a country church in Taylor County one day. And a preacher was asking where we were from and I, everybody was telling them, I said, I was from Louisville and so on. They said, and where are you from? He said, nowhere. Did you get me? I said, nowhere. And uh, the preacher said, what was that again? Nowhere. That's just the way he talked. He was actually from Nora, N-O-R-A, Kentucky, but it sounded like nowhere. Then JF put his life on the altar for God. He said, God, take me and use me. Use me. And use him, God did. I never shall forget, in that service at Stony Point Baptist Church, Clinton County, when J.F. McKinley came here and said that to the Lord. And in a little while his daddy, big old James McKinley, got up and came down with tears in his eyes and put his arm on his shoulder and he said, if my son feels called by God to be a preacher and to go as a missionary, he said, I'll stand behind him financially and I'll hold the line in prayer and finances." And my friend, that's exactly what he did. The time came when he had to sell his farm for JF to go on to college. He went on to Camelsville College, and then he transferred to Wayland in Texas. And then then he went to the seminary. He was pastor for a little while, and then God's tug at his heart carried him to Bangladesh, then Pakistan, and he's been serving there all these years. How did you get to go? Somebody held the line in finances. Somebody paid the price. There's a cost involved. You're gonna go on with God, there's a cost involved. For you, for others, for us, if we're gonna see other people go on with God, somebody has to pay the price. And then Paul Smith said, it's not cash but credit that God wants. That's a strange thing that disagrees with a lot of pe- things that people teach today about that he says it's not cash but credit he said god doesn't want what we've got he he wants us to have the faith to expand our thinking to give him what we don't have and trust him to send it to us he said in our church it would be impossible for us to just carry on this great work just by the tithe he said we go into faith promises we ask our people to go way beyond the tithe and to say, Lord, I'll give to you if you'll send it through my hands. And that church is supporting over 500 missionaries around the world, that one church. And then he said, it is not charity but choice. Not charity but choice. So many times we give God the leftovers. I'm talking about the cost of going on with God. We give God the leftovers. Old tables, old chairs, old desks, old clothes, old pianos. I thank God for what we've got. You just take a tour through the lower level of our church and you'll find those old pianos. You can imagine the thrill of my heart, a number of years ago, one of our families called and said, "Uh, we've gotten a new piano. I have to admit that I thought what they would say next. We want to give the church our old piano. They didn't say that. They said, we got a new piano and brought it into our living room and it looked so beautiful. We got on our knees dedicated to the Lord and the Lord said, Why would you bring a new piano to your home and not give a new piano to the church? And that family said, when can we deliver the new piano to the church? Costs. It costs. A doctor was buying some new instruments, new things to whatever they do, these tweezers and all kinds of fun, fun looking things. They have these instruments and so on. He's getting some new ones. Contacted his church and he said, "Uh, I understand we have a medical missionary that's going to such and such a country. He said, I've gotten some new instruments. I want to give my old instruments to that missionary. In about 10 minutes he called the pastor back and he said, Pastor, I've been alone with God. He said, I don't want to give those old instruments to that missionary. I'm gonna give him my new instruments. And I'll take the old instruments. It costs. Years ago, there was a missionary walking down by the Ganges River in India. And he saw a mother with two precious little children. One healthy and oh so beautiful and the other just sickly and it looked like it might die any moment. And the missionary went on into the village and got some things and was coming back and he saw the lady there by the river. And there was that little sickly child in the lady's arms. The other child was gone. And the missionary said to the Indian lady, Where's that beautiful little child I saw a while ago? Oh, she said, my God demands sacrifice. And I threw him into the Ganges River. And the missionary said, but why didn't you throw the sickly little child that couldn't live very long? Why didn't you do that? And the woman was insulted. She said, do you think I would give God less than my best? Paganism, it costs. And I want to ask you tonight, do you want to go on with God? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the cost? Are you willing to say, Lord, here am I and here is mine. And I put it on the altar for you, for your glory. It begins by receiving Christ as Savior and then going on with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time of fellowship in the gospel tonight. We pray that will help us to pay the price to go on with God. Keep our eyes on Jesus. to Find out what God's plan and perfect will is for us and then to do it. We pray that thou will call some from this place.